when Alexander the Great was on his conquest, he would stop every once in a while to hold court and decide matters that had come up and make judgments. One such day, he uh, was holding court and he was sitting up on his throne on a platform like this probably and uh, a young man was brought to him who had been caught fleeing from battle in the previous battle. And one of the things that Alexander hated above all things was cowardice. This was a young man. He was brought before Alexander. And Alexander the Great asked him, Young man, what is your name? And he said, Alexander. What? What is your name? It's, it's Alexander, sir. What is your name? Alexander. And the king came down and grabbed him up and said, young man, Either change your conduct or change your name. The same could be applied to us who go by the name Christ ones, Christians. I wonder sometimes if the Lord might want to grab a hold of us and say, change your conduct or change your name. does it really mean to be a Christian or more importantly a disciple of the Lord Jesus Christ a follower of Christ we have been exploring these last few weeks what it means to be made like Christ and in this whole area of biblical discipleship um, it, it's good to go back and reset what are we really talking about here well a preliminary consideration is what is biblical discipleship really what, what is it and here's just a brief definition that I've come up with that biblical discipleship is the process by which we are being conformed into the image of Christ. It is a process. It's, it's something that takes time. It's the word sanctification. The, the old theological word and the biblical word of being sanctified. It's that process of sanctification. It's ongoing. And where it's heading is we are being conformed. Notice the passive there. We become conformed or we are being conformed. It is not something that we just decide to do, but rather something we yield ourselves to. Just like in salvation, you don't decide one day, well, I, you know, I think I'm going to be a Christian today. But rather it's a work of God in you that draws you to him and by faith you come to him. 
And the same thing in the Christian life. By faith we come to him day by day. Recognizing our need for him to actively work in us. To conform us to the image of Christ. So the goal is Christ-likeness. That's the, the what discipleship is about. The goal is Christ-likeness. The why is the glory of God. We are being conformed to the image of Christ always toward the glory of God. Everything done to God's glory. And the method is abiding in Christ. Now I want to explore that a little bit more today because we've been talking about abiding in Christ the last two or three weeks. Uh, so I'll get to that in a few moments. Uh, but do we have a right understanding of discipleship? As I have explored book after book on this area of discipleship, I, I've been convinced that there have been some well-intentioned, godly men who have written books that have led astray. If you think about just some, some key verses, and a lot of this I'm going to go through quickly today because we've already examined it in some part in the last weeks. But Matthew 20 excuse me, Matthew 10, 24 and 25, says that it is enough for a disciple that he be like his master. In other words, that's the goal of a disciple, to be like his master. If we are a disciple of Jesus Christ, we will be like him. Or as we looked at, I think it was last week, Luke 6, 40, that Jesus said that a disciple, when he is fully trained, will be like his master. So that's the goal of discipleship, to be like our master. And it's interesting that the word he uses there, a disciple when he is fully trained, the word trained there is not the pedagogy kind of word of instruction, but rather it is a word that means um, to make whole. It's um, to, to make something whole or to, to mend something, to make it uh, what it should be. So a disciple, when he is trained, when he is mended, to, when he's made to what he should be, he will be like his master. Romans 8, 28, that uh, God has predestined us to be conformed to the image of his son. So he predestined us not just to be saved, not just to be able to get a ticket to heaven, but he predestined us to be conformed to be conformed to the image of his son. That is the goal toward which God is always moving us. And so as we think about discipleship, are we thinking about, am I making any progress toward that goal? That's the goal he has. As I've, again, as I studied so many books on discipleship, the typical approach is, or the goal is to make disciples out of believers. That is, we would take a group of believers, like in this church, we might say, we're going to have a discipleship class this Tuesday night. Or as uh, my professor at Dallas Seminary, Howard Hendricks, used to have one Thursday mornings at 6 a.m. He said he wanted to make it that early you had to be there at 6. If you weren't there in your seat at 6, at this place, the meeting, you weren't allowed in. 6 a.m. Thursday morning for the serious people. 
And so we take a group of believers and we want to make them more closely follow Christ. And so that is done by uh, a method of completion of a training program, by completion of certain classes, by attaining certain objectives. Perhaps you're going through a study on prayer and you want to teach uh, other people or you want to learn yourself how to be a better prayer warrior. Or you're learning how to share your faith. And so that's a discipleship class on, on evangelism. Or you want to learn how to have a devotional time. And so maybe a class is taught or you go through a program on, on how to be discipled that way. How to have a regular devotional time. Now let me tell you that all those things are good. We ought to do them. They're all good and right things. The problem is that they are not good enough. They're good, but they're not sufficient. These things are good to learn how to share our faith, to learn how to pray, to learn how to have a devotional time, to learn how to serve others. All those things are good and we ought to learn them and we ought to teach others also. But they are not the goal. But even more to the point. One can pursue these objectives of standard discipleship and not become Christ-like. You can cross your I's and dot your T's. And still not be there. Whereas. You cannot pursue the goal of Christ likeness. Without also. Having it positively. Affect your prayer life. Your devotion life. Your. Your outreach. Your love for others. Your witness. Your desire to serve. If you pursue Christ. He will bring those things. But if you pursue those things. You will end up frustrated. And not Christ like. We have been sold a bill of goods. That the, the road to discipleship. Is by learning to do things. That is Phariseeism. That is legalism of the worst sort because it pretends at a righteousness that is self-made. That is, if I can memorize these books of the Bible in order, I have achieved something spiritually. And we can become proud of these things that we're gaining in and learning instead of growing in Christ. In fact, all these kinds of things can be done to some degree in the flesh. You can, if you're good at memory, you can memorize scripture. Or maybe you're a very outgoing person and you can learn the way of the master or something and you can learn how to present your faith. And remember, those are good things to do. But to think that they are the road to discipleship is to lead you astray. It is in drawing close to Christ that we become like him. It is becoming like him in character that we become like him in conduct. And the process cannot be in reverse order. So, 
I would say that the, the biblical view of discipleship as the New Testament lays out for us is the goal is conformity to the image of Christ and the method is abiding in Christ. Well, since the goal is conformity to Christ, uh, we need to remember why that is so. And here in point number three, in the image of Christ, I just want to rehearse some things that we've been through before about why this is God's goal from the beginning. First of all, this is why he made man to be in his image. In Genesis 1, 26 and 27, let us make man in our image. God's goal from the beginning is that we would reflect his image. Uh, it's the reason for the prohibition against images, or at least one of the reasons, is because God's already done it. He's made man in his image, and he, he wants to make us restore that image in us. Any image that we can make of God is a mockery of God because you can never, you can never make an image that would rightly honor who God is. See, sin has irreparably marred God's image in us. It, it has irreparably marred. That, that means you cannot just do away with the sin that you've done in the past. It has scarred and marred your soul. And there's nothing you can do to take it away. It has made us so we do not reflect the image of Christ. Um, all we have sinned and come short of the glory of God. But God's plan is to attain that image in us, to restore the image of God in us. Romans 8, 28-30 spells that out for us, as we mentioned before. God predestined us to be conformed to the image of His Son. So He is working from eternity past, before the foundation of the world. He decided He would make you restored to the image of Christ. He accomplishes his image in us from one level of glory to the next as we saw in 2 Corinthians 3.18. As we behold as in a mirror the glory of the Lord we are being changed from one level of glory to the next even as by the Spirit of the Lord. Christ applies his image through us. 2 Corinthians 4. That's the passage that Jeremy Kidder started out with uh, this whole series. 2 Corinthians 4. But also five, chapter 5 goes on to show how Christ applies his image through us. And lastly, as we saw the last couple of weeks, as we abide in Christ, his word, and his love, he develops his image in us. First, uh, excuse me, John 15. We abide in Christ. We abide in his word. We abide in his love. And as we do, he brings about his image in us. Well, now, since our goal is conformity to the, to the image of Christ, we need to know Him better. In fact, it is in growing in the knowledge of Christ that we grow closer to Him. It is by growing in the knowledge of Christ that we abide in Him. So the, the goal is Christ-likeness. The method is abiding in Christ. But you might wonder, how, how do I abide in Him? 
Well, the, the way I believe the New Testament presents to us is by growing in the knowledge of him. That's how. Let me show you several key texts and we'll, we'll devote the rest of our time to these several key texts. There are many more, by the way, uh, texts of this sort. In fact, I have been, uh, go to 2 Peter chapter 1. I have been for uh, several years working on a book on this topic and I'm, I'm hoping perhaps in the near future to have a little bit more time to do some writing and maybe actually complete this. But here are some of the key passages that I found concerning growing in the knowledge of Christ. 2 Peter chapter 1. Peter, an apostle of Jesus Christ to the pilgrims of the uh, dispersion in Pontus, Galatia, Cappadocia, Asia, and Bithynia, elect... I'm in the wrong chapter, wrong book. It starts the same way. Simon Peter, see? Still from Peter. 2 Peter chapter 1. Just checking with you. A bondservant of the apostle of Jesus Christ. Here we go. To those who have obtained like precious faith with us by the righteousness of God, our, of our God and Savior Jesus Christ. Now who is Peter writing to? Believers. To those who have already received or obtained like precious faith. Or the same uh, faith that we have the same value of faith faith of the same value or like precious faith with us and how have they obtained this by the righteousness of our God and Savior Jesus Christ so that they have been saved by the righteousness of our God and Savior Jesus Christ so if you are a believer in Christ today then this is the kind of person that's being talked to You've, you've been declared righteous by the Savior. So it's important to note here that Peter is not talking to unbelievers. He's talking to believers. Verse 2. Grace and peace be multiplied to you in the knowledge of God and of Jesus our Lord. You, you have grace and and peace you have experienced that you know that if you're a believer perhaps you don't know it to the degree you would like that is there may be some times that that you wish you had more peace in your in your life you have anxiety or fear or something you need more peace and that happens for us but here what peter is saying that that grace and peace that you already have can be manifold it can be multiplied to you well, how is grace and peace multiplied to us? In the knowledge of God and of Jesus our Lord. That's where it is. You don't get to grace and peace by simple meditation or trying or something. It is in the knowledge of God and our, our Lord of Jesus our Lord the more you know him the more grace and peace will be multiplied to you verse 3 
as his divine power has given to us all things that pertain to life and godliness through the knowledge of him who called us by glory and virtue. So his divine power, the power of God himself is giving you this. It is a gift. Just like salvation was a gift you received, so the, the sanctification process, the growing in Christ, the coming near to him, growing in knowing him, that is a gift from God that he has already given its past tense. He's given it to you. Notice. As his divine power has given to us. What has God in his power already given to us? Some things. Note that. All things. All things that pertain to life, meaning the Christian life, and godliness. Godliness is another way of saying Christ-likeness. Because to be like God is to be like Christ. Because Christ is God. So God has already given you absolutely everything you will ever need to be like him. He has given to us all things that pertain to life and godliness. You can never say, God, if, if you had just given me more faith, I could be more like Christ. God, if you had just given me more patience, I could be more like Christ. You can fill in the blank there. If you had just given me more whatever. Because he has already given you absolutely everything that you need. You have his word on it. Whenever you find yourself thinking in your own spirit, if I were just more or had more, repent before God and tell him, God, I know you've already given me everything I ever need to be like you. He has already given us all things that pertain to life and godliness. Where are those things found? Ephesians 1.3 says that, Blessed be the Lord God and Father of our God of our Father, Lord Jesus Christ, who has already blessed us with every spiritual blessing in the heavenlies in Christ Jesus. Notice how it says it here, that, that he has uh, given us all things that pertain to life and godliness through the knowledge of him who called us by glory and virtue. It is through the knowledge of him. The word through here, uh, just a quick technical note for you Greek students, it's the word dia, through, and uh, dia plus genitive, which it is here, always means by means of. Dia plus genitive equals by means of. So this is saying through or by means of, this is the methodology in other words. This is a key to the method that God uses to give us all things that pertain to life and godliness. This is significant. It is by means of the knowledge of him who called us. That is, knowing him more. The more you know him, 
That's how you access those things. It's like God has given you a billion dollars in your bank account and you want to know how do I access that bank account? What's the account number? And he tells you it's this. Well then, then you know how to access it. He's told you I've given you this wealth of everything you'll ever need to be Christ-like and here's the secret. You find it in knowing Christ so seek to know him seek to draw close to him seek him not things about him not just biblical stories but him seek Christ uh, verses 1 through 8 uh, we'll skip for this time's sake but just uh, go to verse 8 for if these things are yours and abound you will be neither barren nor unfruitful in the knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ look how Peter ends this book 2 Peter 3.18 the very last word we hear from the apostle Peter is this But grow. How do you grow? But grow in the grace and knowledge of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. Now, most of us realize we need the grace of God every day, right? We understand that by God's grace, right? But I think the element we're missing is we need the knowledge we need to know him more day by day but grow in the grace and grow in the knowledge of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ so the growing in the knowledge of Christ provides the spiritual resources that we need secondly here Growing in the knowledge of Christ provides the spiritual understanding we need. Ephesians chapter 1. <clears throat> if you feel like you, you need or want more spiritual Wisdom, more spiritual understanding. Where is that found? How do you gain spiritual discernment, spiritual understanding? It is by knowing Christ more. And the Apostle Paul tells us that is it directly here. Ephesians 1, verse 15. Therefore I also, after I heard of your faith in the Lord Jesus and your love for all the saints, again, these are believers, right? Do not cease to give thanks for you, making mention of you in my prayers, that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of glory, may give you, may give to you the spirit of wisdom and revelation. How do we get this spirit of wisdom and revelation? It is in the knowledge of him. That's where it is. It is in the knowledge of him. Not just knowing 
things about Christ, but knowing him personally. Just like if you know a person, not just knowing about them, but knowing them intimately. May give you the spirit of wisdom and revelation in the knowledge of him. And look what happens when you know him more. Verse 18, the eyes of your understanding being enlightened. God lightens, enlightens our heart. He enlightens our, our ability to understand spiritual things. The eyes of your understanding being enlightened. And there's a purpose to this. That, that you may know. So as you come to know him, there's something else you get to know. That you may know what is the hope of his calling. That's first. Second, what are the riches of the glory of his inheritance in the saints? And third, what is the exceeding greatness of his power toward us who believe? According to the working of his mighty power which he worked in Christ when he raised him from the dead. In other words, the resurrection power that I might know the power of his resurrection. As Paul said in Philippians so by coming to know him more, we have our spiritual understanding enlightened. That we can grow in um, knowing the hope of his calling. That, so we have a steadfastness about our faith. That we can grow in the knowledge of the, the riches of his glory for us. And his, the power which he's working in us. Instead of relying at all upon ourselves, we come to realize that all the treasures are found in Christ. Colossians 2, 3. All the treasures of wisdom and knowledge are found in Christ. He provides the spiritual understanding we need. While we're here in Ephesians, look at chapter 4, verse 11 through 13. <clears throat> And he himself gave some to be apostles and some prophets, some evangelists, some pastors and teachers for the equipping of the saints, for the work of ministry, for the building up of the body of Christ. Verse 13 is what I want to key in on here. Until, so the ministry of the body of Christ here continues until we all come, every one of us, no one left behind until we all come to the unity of the faith and what? The knowledge of the Son of God. Are you growing in the knowledge of the Son of God? Are you encouraging one another to know Him more? <clears throat> till we all come to the unity of the faith and the knowledge of the Son of God. Now remember these are believers. Do they already know Jesus? Yes, they know him. But so this is talking about knowing him more intimately. Till we all come to the unity of the faith and the knowledge of the Son of God to a perfect man or mature individual to the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ. So to the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ is another way of saying just like Christ. To, to be just like him. If you could take the measure of what the fullness of Christ-likeness would be, that's what he's talking about. Till we all come to that. And how do we do it? By knowing him. 
It is by unity of the faith and the knowledge of the Son of God. <clears throat> and finally, growing in the knowledge of Christ provides the spiritual discernment and fruit that we need. We find this in Philippians chapter 1. <clears throat> Growing in the knowledge of Christ provides the spiritual discernment and fruit that we need. Philippians 1 verse 9. And this I pray, that your love may abound still more and more in knowledge and all discernment, that you may approve the things that are excellent that you may be sincere and without offense till the day of Christ, being filled with the fruits of righteousness, which are by Jesus Christ, to, to the glory and praise of God. Now let's look a little bit more carefully for just a moment at this. And this I pray, that your love may abound still more and more. We are to have love. And... In fact, we, we saw how the first and second commandment are about love. Love the Lord your God, first of all, with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. Completely love God with everything in you. And then second, love your neighbor as yourself. And so Christians are to love. And Jesus said in John 13, 35, by this people, others will know that you are my disciples if you have love for one another. In John 15, 9, he says, abide in in my love and so we are to be marked by love and so we are to abound more and more the idea of abound is to overflow like a glass you're, you're filling up with liquid or something till the point that it's flowing over the sides of the glass it's, it's overflowing and that's the idea here that you would abound still more and more that would just flow out of your life because you're so full of godly love it will just flow out of you that you would abound still more and more that your love would abound but notice it's not love for just anything or anyone it's Christ kind of love does Jesus love evil does he love demons and Satan does he love injustice does he love abortion does he love your sin? No. And so in our lives, we need to know what to love and what not to love. Love not the world nor the things in the world because the things of the world are not of the Father. 1 John says 2.15 Don't love the world. So we need to have some discernment on what to love. We should have overflowing love, but it needs to be directed love, guarded and guided love by the knowledge of Christ. That, you would, that your love may abound still more and more in knowledge and all discernment. So that we learn the right things to love. That we love the things that God loves. And that has a purpose in it. As we come to love the things that, that Jesus loves. Verse 10. Here's the purpose. 
that you may approve the things that are excellent. So that as you discern life and should I do this or should I do this? Should I go this direction or that direction? Make this decision or that decision? Should I be involved with this in my daily life or not? Should I watch this movie or do this activity or how, how do you decide, discern these things? That you may approve the things that are excellent. Approve means that you test with, with the uh, goal of trying to discern whether it's good or bad. To approve. And if it passes the test, it's approved. So that you may approve the things that God would call excellent. Not just what God would say, yeah, you can get by with that. I think sometimes that's our modus operandi, isn't it? You, you think God would be okay if I did this? I mean, I'm not going to get zapped if I, if I do this, right? You know, maybe it's not the best thing, but it's not so bad. No, that you may approve the things that Christ says are excellent. That itself has a further purpose. That you may be sincere and without offense to the day of Christ. Because you see this leads to our sanctification. Toward our Christ likeness. That you might be sincere and without offense until the day of Christ. Verse 11. Here's how that would be uh, seen in our lives. Being filled with the fruits of righteousness. Being filled with the fruits of righteousness. Remember as we saw in John 15. About bearing fruit. Abiding in Christ. So that you might bear fruit. And by this my father is glorified. That you bear much fruit. John 15.8. That you might be filled with the fruits of righteousness. Which are. Notice the preposition by Jesus Christ. That is, Jesus is the one who brings about the fruit. John 15 again, without me you can do nothing, so abide in me. They are by Jesus Christ, and they are to this end, to the glory and the praise of God. So that everything moves toward the glory of God. So we, we seek to know Jesus better because we just want to know him and draw close to him. And as we have that kind of a heart, not to do things for him, but to know him, yield ourselves to him, come to him by faith, draw near to him, call out to him, <clears throat> God, I just want to know you more. Have you ever been frustrated in your own devotional life? Maybe you've decided, I'm, I'm going to get up a certain time every day and pray and read the scripture, and for two days you do. Then you have a late night and you can't do it <clears throat> the next day, and and what happens? You start feeling guilty. Well, I just, I, you know, I've tried this again and again. I can't do it. I don't know how many people I've had 
come to me and come to my office and say, I, you know, I just, I don't know what's wrong with me. I must be a spiritual weakling because I can't do this. <clears throat> I used to tell them, well, just try harder. You know, we do what we want to do in life. That's, you know, a truism. The things that are really important to us, we find time to do and so forth. <clears throat> and I'd send them out the door with another load of guilt when I couldn't do it myself. Uh, you can to realize that it was, this was a uh, Matthew 23 situation. The Pharisees lay burdens on you that they themselves are unable to bear, Jesus said. I want to relieve a burden from you. Quit trying to be a Christian. Quit trying to do things for Christ. Simply seek Him. That's it. Wholeheartedly, single focused, this one thing I do. Press on toward the goal. What's the goal? Christ, right? The goal is not I'm going to have a regular devotion time. I'm going to share my faith this many times this month. That's not the goal. The goal is simply Christ. Love Him. Follow Him. Devote yourself to Him. And those devotion times will come. People won't be able to keep you from them. You'll have opportunities to share your faith you hadn't dreamed of. You will grow in your prayer life as you grow to know Him. Your, your hunger for the Word and your thirst for righteousness will grow in proportion simply to longing for Christ. If you do that, that is true biblical discipleship. Let's pray. Lord, we, we bow before you in, in humility before you because we have time and again in our own strength and effort <clears throat> tried to be and tried to do what you have already given to us. We've tried to make what you've given. And we rather, Lord, ought to seek what you have given in Christ, in knowing him. I pray for each of these, my brothers and sisters, that we might from this day forward seek you alone. No other goal, no other treasure than you. May you reign supreme in our hearts. May you do a mighty work in our life for your glory and our good. We ask in Jesus' name. Amen. And I'm, I'm going to ask you to stand and, and sing.